All right, how many of you have been reading, staying up with the schedule? We're in chapter 4, Judges, this week. But uh, I hope if you are, uh, I hope you are reading uh, and staying up, reading ahead, not just reading through it once. Oh, I can check the box, say I did that. But I want to encourage you to, as you read through, now you're only going to see it six times, and this is the third time, so there's three left, but there, the cycle was you read through the Bible of the book of Judges, look for that five-fold cycle that we've been talking about. We'll go through it again today, but look for it and, and, and write in your, however you do it. I know some people don't like to scribble in the Bible or whatever. I mark mine up. It's like I love doing that, but, but it's there for you, and I'd encourage you to do that. Underline, circle, however you do that, highlight so that there are things that you can remember and, and take note of and, and, and be aware of, and I think that's, a, that's a, a, a great help to you, and it will be as we continue to study through. Um, so what's the significance of a goat dressed as a bee? You say, wait a minute, what are you preaching on today? Maybe I read the wrong chapter. Or how about just goats and beehives, right? You say, what are you talking about? Well, have you ever heard the words milk and honey? Yeah, milk and honey, right? And, and uh, I, I think if you have been following as we've talked about that, if you go back into the book Joshua or go back into the first five books of the Old Testament and and, and Moses talks about the promise to the nation of Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. And, and Joshua is setting Israel up to conquer that land, the Canaan land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And, and so as we jump into that today, as we continue our study in the book of Judges, we're going to dive right into the third of six cycles and we've been talking about those cycles. Do you remember what it is? What's the first, first element of that? Where does it begin? With rebellion. All right. You're now, so, oh, that cycle. Yeah. All right. And what's next? Ruin. Yeah. Now, I know this is Sunday morning, and you may think, I'm supposed to just sit here and listen and move my Bible around. Okay, but you can actively participate here okay so rebellion ruin remorse not reap good not repentance yeah rebellion ruin remorse restoration and then and re, what rest yes and know what we say happens then repeat yeah and it happens six times and uh, we're going to see the third cycle of that as we go through that today. And uh, we're going to look at the fourth and fifth judges, Deborah and Barak. We'll see them in a minute. Some don't consider Barak a judge, but some do, and it just depends. And they think it's just Deborah, but we're going to look at them both. And, uh, and we're going to be introduced to Jabin, who is the king of the Canaan, the, the land of Canaan. And, uh, and then we're going to meet his commander, the General Sisera. And so as we dive into that today, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot. But before we get back to the goat and the bee, the milk and honey, I have a question. What is God doing in your life? 
that could be today, that could be presently, it could be this week, last week, this month. What is God doing in your life? Do you, do you often think about that? You know, sometimes we, we've talked, we've had some conversation recently, back and forth individually with people and, and saying, yeah, so, so when you come into the foyer on Sunday morning, what do we usually talk about? The weather. Sports. The economy. I hope not the election. <laughs> do we ever talk about God? Do we ever ask one another when we greet one another, hey, how's it going? What's God doing in your life this week? You might say, well, what? well I don't know. I never thought about that. But well, why not? Do you know God? Is he active in your life? And I think that's what we need to be thinking about. What is God doing in your life? At our staff meetings, uh, every other week, all of our staff gets together, all five of us. And Jake's going to be joined, by the way, Jake's surface. We've talked to you about that uh, internship, and he, he's beginning today. Actually, you wouldn't know it because he's always here anyway, but uh, he's going to begin doing that. You'll be hearing more about that as that time moves on. But we sit in our staff meeting, and, and we usually begin by asking each other, say, have you had any God sightings this week? You familiar with that term? What do we mean by God sightings? Have you seen God do anything in your life? Has anything happened in your life that you could point to and say, God did that? Maybe God opened the door for you to share your faith in Christ. I shared with you a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to talk to my doctor, one of my doctors about, he simply said, Glenn, you're going to have to tell me where I'm going. Be glad to. Let's talk more about that. You know, it's like a God moment. And, and what is God doing? You see God active in your life. And, and, and I don't know if you think about it. We need to be paying attention to what God is doing in our lives. I hope in your reading of the book of Judges that you've seen the Lord jump off every page. Every time you turn it, two or three times, it's like, bingo, it just popped. There's the Lord, there's the Lord, there's the Lord. He did this, he did that, he's doing this, and, and on and on and on we go. There are God sightings all throughout the book of Judges. And if you're reading carefully, you absolutely cannot miss. You'll see it, the Lord. And throughout the book of Judges, typically the Lord is capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or, or maybe as some would say, I don't know, uppercase. However you look at those capital letters, right? There it is, and it's everywhere throughout the book of Judges. And we see, you cannot miss his name. You cannot miss his influence in the surrounding nations, in the nation of Israel, in the lives of individuals. You cannot miss his presence. You cannot miss his power. It's everywhere. So please open your Bibles this morning to Judges chapter 4. And we're going to spend our time, we're going to look at the entire chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, there is a hard copy of the Bible underneath. should be close to you underneath the chair in front of you in that Bible, page 167. Page 167. Now, if you think as we jump into this, if you think last week's judge was something, remember King Eglon? 
The Bible called him a very fat man. That's probably not politically correct to say that these days, but that's, that's what we read, right? And then the judge, the left-handed assassin. And we talked about that whole story and went through that. And, hey, we're going to look at it something again this week. If you think that was something, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? And we're going to look at that today. So here it is. Remember the cycle. Here we go. Rebellion. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. One of the things we said was that they would follow God. When that judge came along and began the, the work of restoration, restoring the nation of Israel to turning back to God, away from their apostasy. And, and, and what would happen is when that judge, after he got the victory, there was rest, peace in the land, as long as that judge lived. And here we read right there in verse 1, the, the Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So there you have it. There's a God sighting. God, they were thinking about the Lord. The nation of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he's there. Let's go on. Second step, ruin, Judges 4, 2 and 3. And what we read there is verse 2. So the Lord sold them, the nation of Israel, right? The Israelites, the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, the general was based in Harosheth Hagoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. There it is. The ruin. 20 years oppressed by the king of the Canaanites and his general Sisera with 900 iron chariots. Wow. God's citing, because we read there, the Lord sold Israel into the hand of the wicked king and his general, the Canaanites. Third step, remorse. There it is, right at the end of verse 3. And we read, Israelites, they cried to the Lord for help. There it is, another God citing. And again, I want to drive home the point, it's remorse, not repentance. They're crying out in desperation. They're down. They're living in ruin. They're 20 years oppressed by the Canaanite king and his general and the iron chariot army, right? And they were, they were a mess, and they cried out to the Lord. And there it is. Remember our definition of repentance. If you didn't get it last week, I won't leave it up long, but here it is right out of gotquestions.org. Just Google it gotquestions.org and t Google in or type in the search bar repentance. You'll come up a complete and irreversible and the key to repentance is change. Change of mind, heart, and actions. It's a complete change. It's a, it's a 180 degree turnabout. It's repentance recognizes that our sin is offensive to God. That's why it needs change. Not just remorse, not just regret, I, not just reformation, repentance. 
make an about-face, heart-directed turn away from self, away from our sin, to God. That's repentance. And as we read here, that's we call it remorse, but that's what happened. They cried out for help. You say, well, how do we know it's not repentance? Because this cycle repeats itself over and over again in the book of Judges. It was a, a limited time, but it didn't last. And with each successive judge and successive cycle, it spirals downward, worse and worse throughout the book. And, and we'll see that as we continue on through. The fourth step, restoration. Judges chapter 4 through the end of the chapter. Or chapter 4, verse 4 through the end of the chapter. And so as we look at that, look at verse 4. Now Deborah was a, Deborah, a prophet or prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. I'm not going to go into the whole judge thing again. We talked about that as we've started. But she was leading Israel. She was a judge. We're told in verse 5 and so that, that she would sit there under a tree and listen as the Israelites would come and she would decide this case or that case and what needed to happen. And, and then we get to verse 6. And there in verse 6, we read, she sent, Deborah sent for Barak. Here's our next character, Deborah and Barak. She sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel. God citing, she's saying what God said, what God told her. Why? Because she's a prophet, prophetess, a woman prophet, all right? She's, a, she's telling Barak, what God said, the Lord said, here, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. This is not an option. This is not a suggestion. He commands you. Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Notice, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. And then verse 7, he says, well, he says, you, all right, Barak. Now, this is coming through Deborah, but God is saying to Barak, you take your army. You go get 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun to the tribes of Israel. And then verse 7, the Lord says, I will lead Sisera the commander of Jabin's army, General Sisera, and with his chariots, what, remember, the 900 iron chariots that he had, and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Again, God's sighting. God's doing the work. He says, Barak, you go to war. You go recruit 10,000 men, and I will lead the general, the commander, Sisera, to where he should go so you can take care of him. Then we get down to verse 9. And this is, this is just kind of hard to understand because Barak was called of God. I mean, God, look at what he says I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to take care of this. I, I'm going to lead him. You're, you're, you, do it. I got this. And Jabin's response, verse 8. Barak's response, excuse me. Barak said to her, Deborah, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. 
Now, my initial study through this, I was ready to focus a lot on his weak faith, Barak's weak faith. Some do. But I found more that didn't. You know, it's an incomplete obedience. It's a partial obedience. There's reluctance to obey. God said, go. Fight this battle. I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to lead Sisera to where he should be so that you can take care of it. And Barak says uh, to Deborah, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, mm, sorry, I'm not going. That's partial obedience. That's hesitation. You say, well, what's the problem with nailing him? Well, because I think there's probably more to it, and I'm going to get to that. But for the time being, let's keep going as we look through the the text. And uh, Barak misses the God sighting. Deborah tells him this is what God's commanded, and Barak He kind of misses the fact, and he says, well, okay, Deborah, I'll go if you go, but if you don't, I'm not. And and again, I'm going to come back to that, all right? And uh, so Deborah replies immediately in verse 9, certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Huh. Now, what are you thinking? Now, you know the rest of the story if you've been reading through Scripture, right? But And I remembered. I mean, I knew where I was going, but I got there, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Barak probably thinks that means Deborah. Well, we're going to find out that that woman wasn't Deborah, but, but there you have it. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Huh. So there was something. That's, in a sense, it's kind of a punishment for Barak. Because that's what she says. Because of the course you are taking, because of your reluctance, because of your hesitation, because you won't go unless I go, the Lord will deliver Sisera, the general, the commander of the Canaanite army, into the hands of a woman. Now, just keep that in mind. Let's keep going through the story. So that's Deborah's response. All right. Verse 9. Certainly, I will go with you, but notice this too. Because of the course you're taking, and this is a big deal, the honor will not be yours. The honor will not be yours. There's something there that's not a good thing for Barak. The honor will not be yours. And, and just initially as we think about that, you might be thinking, well, I, we're not supposed to seek honor anyway. God's supposed to get all the honor, right? Why, why would that be? Why would she say that to Barak? Because you are hesitant. Because you are reluctant to completely obey. Because you said, if Deborah doesn't go, I'm not going. If she does go, I'll go. Well, that was some, something was wrong in that. The honor will not be yours. We'll come back to that too. You say, we're coming back to a lot of stuff. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So, so look at it then. Um, 
as we look at it then, verse 11. And right here is kind of a parenthesis. It kind of pops up out of nowhere. Verse 11, and, and what we read there, Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, we know that name, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zaananim near Kadesh. You say, what is this got to do with anything? Because we jump into verse uh, 12. When they told sister of the barracks, now we're back into the battle. What in the world? It's like a parenthesis, and it might appear at first impression there that it's got nothing to do with the story, that it's, and yet we know God doesn't waste his time. He doesn't just put stuff in the Bible just because. There's a purpose and a point, and we're going to get to that, too. <laughs> that list is getting real long, right? But here we go. Jump back down with me, then, to, uh, to verse 12. And so, there we go, because you may be saying, well, who is Heber, and who are the Kenites, and what in the world are they doing in the middle of this story? And, oh, by the way, I haven't forgotten about the milk and honey. Or the goat and the bee, right? Haven't forgotten. Keep that in the list. And uh, so verse 14, Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down uh, Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Here now we're back into the middle of the battle. Again, more God sightings, right? The Lord led them. Look at it. The, this day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. It's not about you. Barak, the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. You're just the one God's using. God needs to use us. God wants to use us. And he is using us. He's using Barak. But he says, the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? When we talk, when I asked you that question way, way back at the beginning when we started, what's God doing in your life? Where do you see God at? Have you had any God sightings? If I said to you in the last week or two, can you point to a God sighting in your life where you see his active involvement in your life? This is going on with these guys, with Deborah and with Barak and the battle in the nation of Israel. God is all over the place. He is actively involved. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Listen, folks, God goes ahead of us every day you live. I don't care whether you know Jesus or not. God's in charge. God's put every single one of us here, and he goes before us every step of the way. So we find out. Verse 15, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. Now we know that word routed. It's crushed him, smashed him. We usually think of a, a big-time score. A team beats a team by a whole lot. Well, they, they were routed. Well, the word rout here also means thrown into confusion. Now, there's some things, if you've read ahead at all, that are in chapter 5 that also add to the victory that the Lord gave to the nation of Israel, to Barak and his 10,000 men. But I'm not going to spoil that. Next week, it's there. 
but there's a lot going on, and you'll see also why some of that confusion was there, is they were routed, and, and I'm going to leave it at that, because I don't want to ruin it. Mitch is going to be handling chapter 5 next week, and so you're going to see some of the things. Chapter 5 is a repeat of chapter 4, but it's done poetically. It's really cool. So when you read it this week, it's not the historical account like you get in chapter 4, but it's really a discussion as it moves on and, and something that Deborah, it's a song, it's a poem, and you'll see that. And so what we find is Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. These are the same 900 iron chariots that if you went back to Judges chapter 1 and verse 19, when the tribe of Judah was taking over the land of Canaan in their allotted area, they got only so far and they had to stop because of the Canaanites and their 900 iron chariots. Guess what? The nation, of, or if the tribe of Judah had done their work to begin with, Barak wouldn't have to be fighting them here today. Sometimes we face sin over and over and over again because we don't deal with it the first time. We let it alone, we touch, we, we partially take care of it, but we don't wipe it out. And, and I want you to see this. Verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, Ogoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Notice this, the last five words of verse 16, not a man was left. Boom. Complete, total obedience to God. Not a man was left. That's what it should have been back in chapter 1, but it wasn't. We say, oh, yeah, but those chariots, iron chariots, 900, man, that's how in the world could God expect? Because it's not the nation of, or tribe of Judah. It's God that's doing it. We sometimes think, well, how can God expect me to do it? Because it's not me. It's God. That's what's happening here. Another God sighting. Not a man was left. Verse 17. Look at it here. Now, we, we get into the meat of the story. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Do you remember verse 11, that verse that just seemed to pop up? And, and like, why is that here? Remember this? Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. That's why. Because Jael's husband moved to that area Right where the battle was going on. Now, not in the middle of the battle, all, all, obviously, but, but ahead of time, you think that was the hand of God? You think Jael just happened to be there? You think Heber, the Kenite, her husband just happened to move there? No, God. That's why it's there in verse 11. That's why it's mentioned. Because God's actively involved behind the scenes, even though we don't often see him. God goes before us every step of the way. Now, here it is. The wife of Heber the Kenite, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Now, we don't know what kind of an alliance it is. People can go all over the map and, oh, it was a terrible, you know, it might have been a treaty, an alliance of sort probably was, of some, but did it mean that they were going to bow down to their gods? It might have been a business treaty. We don't know exactly, but it was an alliance of some sort. 
Look at it, verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sisera, the general, remember, who was fleeing from Barak. Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent. She covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. Parents, if your kids are here, cover their ears. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Wow. Another weapon, right? Last week it was a, a, about a, a 12, 16, 18-inch dagger into a very fat man, right? Boom, he's gone. This week it's a 10-peg and a mallet. Boom, 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 and he's dead. Wow, and a woman did it. Remember God's promise? Remember what Deborah said to Barak? Okay, but because of the journey you're taking, you will not get the honor. The commander of the Canaanite army, Sisera, will die at the hands of a woman. It wasn't Deborah, it was Jael. And there we have it. So we find out. Verse 22, then, just then Barak came in by pursuit of, uh, uh, came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. Wow. Man, this stuff is gruesome. Violent. God hates sin, folks. And that's what the, the Canaanites were ungodly nations who were worshiping idols, Baal, the God of the storm. And here, Sisera is dead because a woman drove a tent peg to the temple of his head. How's that for a surprise ending? Now, if you hadn't read the story ahead of time, you'd be going, whoa, never expected that. Wow, a woman? You know what they say, too, in, in, in the eastern tribes out there, that women set up the tents. So she knew what she was doing with a mallet and a tent peg. And so there we have it. And then we get to Judges chapter 4, verse 23, and we see rest. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, verse 24, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Verse 31 of chapter 5. I am cheating a little bit. I'm going to go to the very last verse of chapter 5. I'm not going to touch the... I don't want to ruin Mitch's message next week, right? Verse 31, chapter 5. What's it say? Then the land had peace. Forty years. Forty years. The land had peace. Wow. So what now? What's all this about? We're having communion today. What is all this about? Tent peg and a head? Well, 
Our Lord Jesus was crucified, and please, I'm not making an analogy between the tent peg in the head and the nails that were driven into his hands and feet, or the spear into his side. Not, don't go there, that's, I'm, I'm not going there, that, that's not the whole point. But what is the Lord saying to you this morning? Are you aware of the presence of God in your life? God was all throughout this account, all throughout this story of Deborah and Barak and Jael and Sisera and Jabin and the 10,000 Israelites and the complete and total victory over 900 iron chariots. God was there. Are you aware of the presence of God in your life? What is God doing in your life? I, I don't expect an answer right now, but you ought to think about when you get alone later on this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow or whenever you can take some time and spend quiet before God and say, what is God doing in my life? You may say, well, he saved me. Okay, great. Praise God. Good. Now, then that's how he can be more active and you can know it in your life right now. What is God doing in your life? Is his name regularly on your lips? How often do you talk about God with anybody? Wouldn't this be a great place to do that? Are you living with a sense of his influence in your life? Are you aware of his presence as you go about your day-to-day, daily experience and routine? Do you see God in your life? Are you experiencing his power in your life? Do you see God answering prayer? Do you see the power of God at work doing amazing things, things that you can only say, God did it. That's a God sighting. Have you had a God sighting recently? Okay, remember the goat and the bee? Now I'm going to get back to the goat and the bee. Deborah's name means bee or honeybee. That's what her name means. She did what bees do. She stung the Canaanites. And she brought sweet refreshment like honey refreshes one's spirit and strength. And if I could go to take you to when Saul and Jonathan were fighting the enemy and, jo- and Saul said nobody should eat, but they were all tired and worn out and Jonathan dipped the stick in the honey and ate some and what? It refreshed his spirit. It gave him strength. That's what honey does that. And here she, Deborah, did that for the people, restored the strength and the faith and the purpose of the nation of Israel. Jail, her name means mountain goat. There's the goat, the bee and the goat, all right? Jail's name means mountain goat. And, and as a goat, you know, goats are tough. They walk along the mountains and, and they have good footing and, and they're, they're, the, she proved to be tough. She took on the enemy. She took it as a, as a mission of God to take care of that enemy general. And she gave Sisera milk. Not water, milk. God citing the Lord used milk and honey to conquer the land of milk and honey and to restore Israel and to give them peace and rest. It's like, 
Really? How's that happen? God! Deborah's mama and papa named her. And it means honeybee. Why in the world? God! Jail, where'd she come from? Why in the world would she have her tent there when sister run? Because God moved her husband to set up his place there. And she was ready to be used of God. And her name means goat, wild goat. She was tough and she was ready to deal with the enemy. And she gave the enemy milk. And goats provide milk. You may not like that, but... God's sighting. Barak's name means lightning. And maybe next week you'll hear what the significance of that. But when we get back to the whole business of Barak's hesitance, maybe partial obedience, and Deborah says, the honor will not be yours. I battled all week long. We went back and forth in staff. We'd talk about it. I've talked. I, Christy Walker was in town because she was speaking in chapel across the street. And, and I wondered, because as a woman, she likes to preach about women. And I'm, surely she has to have studied Deborah. And, and we talked. And she knew. She asked me about the bee and the, and, and the honey and, and the milk and all that. And I was, yeah, I studied. I got that. And we talked about that. But I couldn't figure out. What was the big deal? It should have been Barak's partial obedience. If you go with me, I'll go. But if not, I'm not going. Wait a minute, this is God that told him to go. So the, the honor will not be yours. So we're not supposed to want honor. I said that earlier. Okay, so I, you know, we read here. Barak did defeat the whole army. The 900 chariots, he took care of the king. But God says, you will not take care of Sisera. He will die at the hands of a woman. Oh, okay, so? You will, the honor will not be yours. And I, and I couldn't figure that out. I thought, Barak must be really a bad guy. But then I remembered Hebrews chapter 11 that we typically call the faith hall of fame. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts all kinds of men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 who lived by faith, did great things by faith. And guess who is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in verses 32 and 33? Not Deborah. Barak. What? Yeah. He was in there, so he couldn't have been that bad of a guy. He couldn't have had that week of faith. He's in chapter 11, Hebrews, verse 32. Look it up. In fact, verse 33 says, as he lists Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, and, and it says, and they conquered kingdoms. And Barak did that. So what is the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Barak lost an opportunity to be used by God. And I think that's the big deal. And you may, you, you may be thinking, uh, so what's a little less honor? He wiped out the nation, the Canaanites. He just didn't get to kill the king. Because it was, he missed an opportunity 
to be used by God. And then he spent all kinds of time and energy chasing down Sisera, even though God said, you won't get him because a woman will. And then comes on to jail and finds out what happened. And sometimes in our lack of obedience, in our missing the opportunity, in our refusing to be used by God to step up and say, God, use me. We miss those opportunities to be used by God and we settle for less than what God wants to give us. And that's a big deal. My fear is we may be thinking, and I was for a while, what's the big deal? All honor goes to God anyway. All glory goes to God. So what? Because Barak missed an opportunity to be used by God. How about you? How about me? Are we missing opportunities? Is God wanting to use us to accomplish great things or everyday things? And we're like, hmm, I'll do this, but not that, God. Ah. I'm a little too busy, got to take the kids' hair, got to do that, got to get that done. I, I got to do this this week and that next week, and I'm doing this tonight and that tomorrow, and I just don't have the time. And besides, that's kind of a hard thing you're asking me, and I'm just not sure. Those 900 iron chariots, uh, Judah didn't do it the first time. They, they couldn't get them, and you expect me? We missed the opportunity to be used by God. And people this morning, I want to say to you, I think that is a huge deal. When we miss the opportunity to be used by God, we are missing big time. And he's God and he wants to use us. And when we miss that opportunity, it ought to bother the living daylights out of us. We ought to go to bed at night saying, oh, I can't, I'll never miss another opportunity. Maybe it was an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus or, or just introduce the Jesus, not give the whole gospel, but just begin a relationship. Maybe it was the opportunity to pray with somebody who, who was struggling. Maybe it was the opportunity to serve our kids down the hallway. Maybe it's the opportunity to be involved in youth ministry. Maybe it's the opportunity to teach a class or, or minister to somebody or, or just pray with God's people or, or stop at somebody's house and bring a meal. And, and, and we do that. I know we do those things. But do we miss opportunities that are right before us and, just, and then try to make up? Well, God, I missed that, so I'll do this, this, and this, and this. Are you looking for opportunities to be used by God? Or are you just settling for the easy stuff? How is God active in your life? What are you doing for God? And as we conclude our time together, we're going to remember what God has done for us who believe on Jesus, who have received the gospel. God, who loved us so much, he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross, and he raised him from the dead. I've been reason, reading through the book of Acts in my own Bible reading, and, and I've been highlighting, circling every time Peter or John or Paul or Saul or whoever mentions 
how God raised Jesus. It's all over. God raised Jesus from the dead. God resurrected him. Why? Because if that didn't happen, even though he died on the cross, we would just have another false Messiah. But he rose from the dead. God rose Jesus, his son, from the dead. Brought him back up. Gave him, amen? (laughs) Amen? Come on, folks. We're not talking milk and honey. We're talking bread in the cup. We're talking his body and blood. Folks, I got to tell you, I can't think, I can't prepare I can't think about people that I'm praying for who don't know Jesus without realizing we must be living with a sense of urgency like we've never had before. Jesus is coming again soon. I don't know how soon. Paul thought he was coming soon, and that was 2,000 years ago. But are we living with a sense of urgency? Are we saying, God is everywhere in my life. He's going before me. How am I living? What opportunities am I missing? What is there that I can do for God? How can I share? How can people see Jesus in me? Am I even looking for God's activity in my life or around? That's what the book of Judges is about. It's God. It's not the 12 or 13 judges. They're used by God, but it's about God and his power and his presence and his desire to use people, and that means us. I'm going to pray, and our deacons are going to come, and we're going to, we're going to partake of the, the bread and the cup, which are symbols of the body of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, gave his life for us. The cup, the juice, is a symbol of the blood of Christ that we're told in the Bible that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood so our sin could be forgiven, so we could have a never-ending relationship with God the Father because of our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we believe that because as a historical fact, not some myth Not the figment of somebody's imagination, but because of the historical fact, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Proving he was the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior, who would and could forgive our sin if we believe. If you're here today without Jesus, you can believe today. Your sin will send you to hell. But God loved you so much, that's why he sent Jesus to die for you. And if we believe God forgives our sin, he washes us clean with the blood of Jesus Christ, saves us, forgives us, makes us a child of God. We're no longer enemies, but we're a child of God. Wow! And we need to live our lives that way. And as we observe today, as we remember what Christ did on the cross, that's why we do communion or the Lord's Supper. Let me pray and we will do that. Father, oh God, help us to live with a sense of urgency.
God, not to miss the opportunities that you give us, that you want to use us. Oh, God, help us, help us to, to not miss that. Help us to have a desire to serve you. Help us to want the honor of doing for you. Help us not to, help it to bother us that we miss that honor if we disobey. God, help us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your work in our lives everywhere we go. God, help us to see your influence, your presence, your power all around us. God, I pray that your name would be on our lips, that we'd talk about you, that we would tell others about what you're doing in our life and what we've seen you do in the lives of others. God, please help us to not just go through life not worried about missing opportunities, not caring if eh, we just don't do as much as we could. God, as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, I pray that this wouldn't be just another first Sunday or routine or tradition some symbol that we just go through, but that we would remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, if there are those today here who do not know Jesus, cause them to turn to you. Cause them to admit their sin and that by themselves they can do nothing because Jesus did it all. Help them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 